Father God, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, I pray that you will open ears to hear, hearts to believe, and eyes to see your great and wonderful truth. God, we need this word this morning. May not one person leave here without knowing the great eternal truths that you've given us here. God, I pray that you will do a work within us, that you will build us up today on this word. God, I pray that you'll help me not to speak in error, but I will bring forth your truth. Help me to be your instrument to your people. God, we love you and we need you. It's in your name. Amen. You can see that this psalm is a magnificent psalm. When you're facing trouble, or when you're facing danger, or the great unknown, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear anything in this life. Pestilence which is what we are in the midst of right now with COVID-19. Diseases, anxieties, destruction cannot threaten those of us who are in the Lord. This psalm looks out over a fallen world in all of its devastation, in all of its disasters and insecurity, all that could happen and says our God is greater than all of it. This psalm does not say those who are in Christ will avoid these things. Don't mistake Psalm 91 as saying that you're not going to confront any of these. No, it it says no matter what's out there, no matter what you face, those of us who live in the shadow of the Almighty, are eternally protected. It's an Old Testament passage that's much like a New Testament passage, Romans 8, where we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Nothing in this world can separate us from the love of our God. W.S. Plumer, in his commentary on the Psalms, begins Psalm 91 with a quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther called Psalm 91, this is the most distinguished jewel among all the Psalms of consolation. It is a jewel. There's nothing comparable to this Psalm anywhere in the world. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what you have in your hand this morning, whether it's a hardback book, a paper, or a digital copy, the truth of God's Word is a jewel. It's treasure to you this morning. I hope you see that. Derek Kidner wrote about this psalm. This is a psalm of danger. For times of exposure and encirclement or of challenging the power of evil. This psalm that speaks to God's deliverance 
and protection for those who dwell in Him is among some of the strongest declarations in all of Scripture. Book 3, you'll remember we went through Psalm 88 last week. That's in Book 3 of Psalms. Book 3 ended with the next psalm in Psalm 89, verse 49. It had these words. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Last week in Psalm 88, it ended with darkness being the psalmist's closest friend, wondering where is God? Where is God? Well, book four begins in Psalm 90, where Moses takes Israel back to its foundations and reminds God's people that God is an everlasting God. For all who dwell with Him, they are established and held firm in His eternal power and His covenant promises. Psalm 91 then continues this idea of dwelling with God. So Psalm 91, part of book 4, answers book 3's questions about God's faithfulness. You and I can look at Psalm 91 as God's answer to last week in Psalm 88. The covenant relationship God established with His people is a secure relationship that is upheld by divine power. And God protects all of us in Christ for all eternity. Nothing can tear us out of God's hands. Nothing will get in the way of Him caring for you. And nothing will stop His love. Nothing. Now there are some amazing promises that were given in this song. You will be delivered from the snare of the fowler and deadly pestilence. That's verse 3. Thousands may fall at your side, but destruction will not come near you. In verse 7. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague will come near your tent. In verse 10. With long life, I will satisfy him in verse 16. These are some really big promises. God is promising a lot here. So what happens then when the Christian faces disease? Or when the Christian experiences deep sorrows? Or what about brothers and sisters who recently have been executed for their faith? What about Christians who have unexpected deaths, early deaths? What about life's tragedies? How are we to look at all of that in light of these huge promises that God has given? How is this psalm applied to us? What's really being promised here? And who are the ones that are being promised to? I think as we go through Psalm 91, you will see the answers 
to these questions. You see, God doesn't give a whole bunch of fluff in His text. He doesn't give just a lot of niceties. This doesn't just sound nice. When real life comes, fluff just kind of goes poof, goes away. Or the real niceties doesn't really matter much. That's not this psalm. This psalm stands for all time. For all time. It has rock solid, far-lasting truths where nothing, not danger, tragedy, illness, threats, or anything can rattle God's power. We can summarize Psalm 91 in this way. You and I, as believers, can trust God in the midst of the most real and intense experiences in our lives. See, the psalmist invites us this morning to take great comfort in our God. Not in our circumstances. Again, this psalm does not promise that every circumstance for the Christian automatically becomes better. No, the psalmist invites us into this presence of a peaceful God who loves us. No matter what it is, we can take comfort in the shelter of the Most High as we abide in the shadow of the Almighty. To see His love and to experience it in the most troubled experiences. You see, the real question that needs to be answered today is do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God loves you so much, so much that He will hold you tightly to Him? Do you believe it even though your life has turned upside down? It's not going how you planned. Is God holding you fast in His eternal love? Is His love so real that you trust Him no matter what? It's a hard question for some of us. When you're not facing troubles, it's easy as a believer to answer that question. But when you're in the midst of the most excruciating struggles, our faith needs reminded of who God is. The psalm gives us the assurance we need to keep trusting God, knowing that His love never fades. It never fails. It continues. Because of that, God has you. He has you. Psalm 91 has no subtitle. We do not know who the author is, We do not know what the circumstances that this psalmist was facing. We do know that the writer had an intimate relationship with God. And because he knew God, he has peace. And he doesn't just keep it to himself. The structure of this psalm revolves around the changes in the personal pronouns that are used here. 
In the first two verses, the psalmist is speaking about himself in the first person. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. In the middle section, verses 3 to 13, the psalmist switches to the second person. He speaks frequently of you. You will not fear. A thousand may fall at your side. He's addressing the reader directly in this part of the psalm. God can be your refuge. Then in the last part, verses 14 to 16, it's God speaking through the psalmist's pen. God gives affirmation to everything that has been said. The I in that section is God. God says, I will deliver him. I will protect him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue and honor him. I will satisfy. God is the one doing these things. This is his pledge. So, our three sections, as we read through the text, can be put into these three points. Confidence in God's mighty protection for those who dwell in Him. That's verses 1 and 2. Considering God's care for those who trust Him. That's that middle section, verses 3 to 13. Confirmation of God's promise to those who love Him. In the last part, verses 14 to 16. You see, God intends for every Christian to experience a personal faith that is built on and dwells in his security. He knows that being a Christian, that standing up for your faith in a world that doesn't understand, doesn't believe, and is hostile will lead to hard circumstances. He knows that our faith is a fight at times simply because we live in a fallen world. You and I do not, we cannot walk in faith in our own strength or in our own knowledge by our own willpower. We need God to protect us and to fulfill His promises. Let's look at the psalmist's confidence in God's protection Verses 1 and 2 are a testimony of the psalmist himself. Before he invites us to know God and trust Him, he says, I know Him. I know God. I know what God is like. This is who God has proven Himself to be to the psalmist. This is a testimony. Now just a note before our first point. A testimony is different than the gospel. Sometimes you ask someone to share the gospel, or you ask them if they know the gospel, and they give you a testimony. Testimonies are good. They tell of what God has done in a person's life. They explain the gospel effects of a person. But the gospel is not what has happened to you. The gospel is a message about God, not us. It is the good news to share about Jesus Christ. The gospel message always begins and it ends 
with God. You begin with who He is, His character, His holiness, and you end with His glory. We tell how we were created to worship, but we've fallen short of that. We don't do that. We can't do that. We are sinful and we cannot live out His law. We stand condemned before our holy God. But He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law of God that no person could and then died for us who believe in Him and took our punishment for not fulfilling the law. Jesus Christ dying for us is the greatest display ever. He took what we deserve and has given us what we don't deserve. He fulfilled the law, yet was willingly punished for us who didn't. He's now alive, having conquered death and sin for those who repent. That's the gospel message. We then respond to Him in faith, trusting that He did everything that's needed for us to be forgiven and have eternal life. And Christ protects us now. He provides for us and He loves us. A testimony is sharing what it's like being a recipient of that love, of receiving that good news, of what it's like of being with Christ. Now the psalmist didn't know the person Jesus Christ, but he was told of the hope of Christ, the Messiah coming. And he's experienced God's love and his care for him. His trust is in God continuing that and fulfilling his promise of the Messiah. His testimony, sharing what God is like, is given in verses 1 and 2. He begins, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. This is the psalmist's personal faith in God. Notice there's four descriptions and four names of God. God is called a shelter, a shadow, a refuge, and a fortress. This is what God is like. He's called the Most High, the Almighty, the Lord, Yahweh, and God. He knows God. The psalmist knows God. He knows Him and He knows what He's like. See, the point is for us reading that is the more you know God, the more you learn about Him, the more you trust Him in difficult times. The psalmist has experienced God like a shelter, a refuge, and a fortress. He has lived in God's omnipresence like a shadow where there's shade on a hot day, that shade never going away. This psalmist has confidence in God. God is his protector. His sovereignty and awesome power are known. God is at the top. There's none higher or better than God. The psalmist describes God 
as places. Look with me again. That he's a, a shelter, refuge, fortress. These are places. Meaning God is the protection. God doesn't just provide it for you. He is that protection, that shelter, and that fortress. Notice God is not a place we go to when we're in trouble. I don't want to get caught up in all the particulars of the word, but when someone needs something, we say, well, go to God. And that's okay, as long as both we and that person understand what we mean by that. Go to God in prayer because He's right here. You don't have to go to God. Look at how the psalmist testifies. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. Abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In verse 4, under His wings. The words dwell and abide picture the person remaining there. That's what, the whole, that's what the words mean. They're, they stay there. They don't come and go. Charles Spurgeon said it's to dwellers, not visitors, that the Lord promises His protection. Those who are in Christ are guarded by the all-powerful God. The chosen of the Lord are always safe because God is always Present. We are always under the protection of the Almighty. God is not far from us. We rest in His shadow. He's our refuge, our safe place. A mighty fortress that is impenetrable. Nothing gets through unless God allows it. The psalmist's life is safe in the protection of God. Because of who God is, the psalmist says, I will trust you. I can trust God. He has confidence in God. He is his shelter. It gives us reasons to trust him. He has faith in a God who acts. We don't just go to him to get things. We are there with him. Because we have fellowship with him, we are In Him, and we remain there, our lives are a full-on pursuit of God, always striving, always walking in that faith, getting closer and closer with God. Everything that happens is according to His plan. What He says and what He does, His providence, then gives meaning and purpose by knowing Him and trusting Him. He lives in the midst of God. And He wants us to have that same confidence that He has. He then spends the next 11 verses describing how God cares for those who trust Him. In the middle section, verses 3 to 13, He wants us to consider God's care and to have faith in God. He wants us to believe and trust and to experience the same thing that he experiences that he has said about God. About 20 times in this section, the psalmist uses the singular form, you. He wants you to see it and to act on it. 
He wants you to believe it and to trust. He wants you to take what he has said of God, of his testimony, and he wants you to make it personal. Verse 3 sets the course. And he tells of God delivering you from two things, the snare of the fowler and deadly pestilence. A fowler is a bird hunter. The psalmist, what he's talking about here is talking of plots and schemes that would harm us. Plumer states that it's any mischief plotted by Satan or his servants. Pestilence is a harmful disease like a plague. In verses 5 and 6, the psalmist speaks of things that are in the open and of things we cannot see. The attacks of the enemy, sometimes it's a frontal barrage coming right at us and we see it coming. Or sometimes it's like the darkness of night, a pestilence we don't know about. Other times you just don't see it coming. Sometimes people don't learn about their sickness until it's in later stages. Verse 4 says, God protects under his wing like a hen does to her chicks. Adding to his loving care, he's like a shield and a buckler or armor. God is faithful and he will protect you. That's what armor does. It protects. This goes beyond the threat of physical death. It goes to the very essence of life. That's what the psalmist is talking about here. This is what Christ has secured for you. Notice the psalmist doesn't say that you won't have these things to face in life. They don't just disappear when you become a Christian. What he says is you don't have to fear these things because God will never abandon you. You can trust God to protect you. In verses 7 and 8, they tell you you won't fall when others do. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. It's a repeat, essentially, of verses 5 and 6 about God's care and protection, but it's become more personal to you. Whatever comes at you or around you, whatever you go through, God's watchful care and protection is with you. God sees you. He's there with you. And what he does, it's not based on your performance. You don't have to know a lot or reach a certain level to gain his attention. All who are in Christ are secure, not because of what you have accomplished or what you're doing now. It's because of what Christ has accomplished and His faithfulness. Nothing will come against you to keep you from Him. Nothing can. In verses 9 to 13, we're told all who put their trust in God are safe. And that God has put His angels to watch over them. 
For those who have faith that abide in Jesus, there are angels that minister to you. Plumer points out, we don't thank angels for their service because they are fellow servants. They are serving the Lord. These verses repeat again this picture of God protecting you and keeping you safe. But there's a condition set. It's not automatic. In verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. That's the condition. This is more than acknowledging that God exists. This is more than saying a prayer one time in your life. It's more than admitting that you need Jesus. It's more than going to Him when you want something. This is for those who rest in God. He is their refuge, their safe place. He's their abode. He's their home. The place they want to be in. You can't fake this. You can't put on a plastic smile on Sunday and receive this. You either have it in your heart or you don't. R.C. Sproul would say that what the psalmist is describing here is Coram Deo. Living in the presence of God. In church, out of church, day in, day out. Martin Luther said this refers to one who really dwells and does not merely appear to dwell does not imagine that he dwells. This is a real dwelling, a real relationship with God. For verses 11 and 12, John Piper cautions us not to use this psalm in the way Satan used it. Piper says, Satan told Jesus to count on the deliverance promised to the godly in this psalm. The devil quoted Psalm 91 in Matthew 4, verse 6. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now Jesus saw this coming, and He responds with, It is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, Piper explains, rather than giving in to the temptation of Satan, Jesus embraced the path of suffering. Being secure, knowing what eternity is like, and you're going to live for all eternity, Jesus embraced suffering. The thorns on His head, being whipped and flogged, getting hit over the head with a rod, the nails that pierced his hands and feet, a spear that sliced into his side, and being killed by his enemies. I want to quote Piper here. Quote, So clearly, the seemingly face value meaning of Psalm 91 did not come true for the most godly person who ever lived. End of quote. We are not kept from physical suffering. 
what we are promised here is that the suffering we go through will not ultimately hurt or harm us. It will not split us or tear us away from Christ. Nothing can. Those of us in Christ are eternally safe from every conceivable danger in the physical and the spiritual realms. Nothing will harm your relationship with Christ. The adder in verse 13 is a snake, a viper, a cobra. And we're told by dwelling in Christ, you will walk on a lion and a serpent. This is imagery of evil men and spiritual dark forces. Oftentimes, evil men are described as as young lions out for the hunt or the kill. And the serpent is often the picture of the devil. What it means is that we are never alone when we face enemies or difficulty. We will ultimately triumph, not because there's something Wonderful or awesome within us or who we are. It's because of how awesome and glorious and wonderful our God is. God has already crushed the head of the serpent. So far, we've been told we can be confident that God's protection for his people is so secure that nothing will come between him and his love for us and his care for us. We can trust him even in the midst of great trials. The suffering we go through now becomes a goodness for us. It's for our ultimate good. As we face it, there's a glorious deliverance that we can't see. God's our security, not our circumstances. Not any other person, not anything else we can reach out and grab. God is our confidence. He's our security. He's faithful and he will protect our eternal life. This brings us to the final section, verses 14 to 16. God gives confirmation of this promise to all who love him. This isn't just for the psalmist. Again, the psalmist has invited us in in that middle section and God has become your God you can experience the same confidence that the psalmist has and now here's God standing and saying yes yes this is who I am he's affirming all of this the language returns to the first person but this time it's God speaking Derek Kidner suggests that this is a progression of thought that goes through these verses. There's a progression of thought in eight pledges that God gives. He begins with a promise to deliver. And not just keeping us safe, but an ultimate rescue from everything. That rescue becomes an abiding relationship with Him, God says. An ongoing relationship. He calls to me and I will answer him. That's a relationship. There are gifts of glory, length of days, and a salvation to enjoy forever 
And God promises this and says, you can stand on this. The Old Testament saints only had a vision, a taste of what this was like. They knew it was coming and they they trusted God. But since it's been realized in Jesus Christ, the Christian has been given all of these things. All of it. When you trust God like this, like this psalm describes, when you believe and trust Christ like this, here is God's pledge. No matter what adversity you face, you have peace in the midst of it because of Christ. Our God, the God of Psalm 91, gives you shelter. He's your shade. He's your fortress and your refuge. He has stretched His wings over you and He cares for you. No matter where you go, you can't go beyond the stretch of His arms. The psalmist has shared a personal faith with us. He gave us His testimony of who God is. He's invited you to see God and have your own faith in Him. To see and have all the promised blessings of eternal life. And God has confirmed it. This is realized in the Son. He who did not spare His own Son gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword. The outcome for all who love Him, who have enduring faith in Christ, is eternal life. It never ends. I want to end with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. Quote, It is impossible that any ill should happen to the man who is beloved of God. The most crushing calamities can only shorten his journey and hasten him to his reward. Ill to him is not ill, but only good in a mysterious form. Losses enrich him. Sickness is his medicine. Reproach is his honor. Death is his gain. No evil in the strict sense of the word can happen to him. For everything is overruled for good. Happy is he who is in such a case. He is secure where others are in peril. He lives where others die. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that glorious? Doesn't that make you stand with confidence since you are in Christ? And He has accomplished this for you. All who have received Christ and are loved. All who have received Christ and are loved have this to look forward to. His steadfast, unmoving love is for us because it's a covenantal love, a promise fulfilled. 
What he did on the cross, taking our sin, was done in love so that in everything we are now, what we face is for our good and our lives are secure forever in him. For all who are in Christ, he is our refuge and our fortress. No evil will keep us from him. Any suffering we go through will not harm us in the end. Because we dwell in the shelter of the Most High. Let's pray.